If you would please stand. We view the sermon text as part of a sermon. This is actually uh, God's word to us. And our passage this morning is Acts chapter 19 verses 1 to 10. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord both Jews and Greeks. Let's pray. Sovereign God, we thank you very, very much for this chance to be together this morning. We thank you so much, Father, for all that you are doing among us by the power of your Spirit. We pray, gracious God, that you would put far from us all the distractions that would keep us from hearing your voice today. We pray that you would pry open our cold, resistant hearts and give us grace, Father, that we might hear your word, believe it, obey it, and rejoice in it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. I'm a bit of a fan of uh, evangelistic presentation programs, uh, different ways of presenting the gospel. Uh, I mentioned last Sunday that I'm indebted to the Gideons because years and years and years ago when I was a little boy, uh, they came by our school and handed out a Bible that I still have. And uh, it was one of those moments in my life, like in Dalton's life, which sort of stand out as uh, examples of when the Lord was working. Even when I didn't realize it, he was at work. And uh, that's an evangelistic approach, sort of handing out Bible tracts, uh, Bibles. Uh, there are other approaches that, that are based on tracts, little simple explanations of the gospel. Uh, there are some that are based on uh, different uh, presentation uh, things that you memorize and learn. There was one called Evangelism Explosion, which uh, a lot of us used growing up and in years past. Um, there are all sorts of different ways of presenting the gospel. And as I say, I'm a, I've been a fan of those for a long time. There's one I've gotten to know recently that I'd like to especially commend to you. It's called 321. And I actually have posted it on the church Facebook page. You can take a look at it and see what you think. Uh, it was put together by an English friend of mine named Glenn Scrivener, who works for a multimedia ministry called Speak Life. And Glenn put together this very well done presentation of the gospel that is interesting to me, particularly because it is Trinitarian. Three, the, the three is the Trinity. 
And he had this idea of communicating the gospel based on the idea of there being this loving trinity. And uh, so it, it begins there and sort of walks through how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have this community of love. And it's that overflowing love which moved Jesus, brought Jesus into the world, uh, which we now proclaim, the love of God in Christ. And so I commend that to you very highly. The idea is that, that um, the gospel doesn't begin with me. It doesn't begin with us. It doesn't begin with our need. The gospel begins with God. Uh, God had a mission plan from the very beginning. In fact, uh, Glenn's point is that we actually worship a missional God. Um, Mission is not something that uh, he invented uh, to sort of merely meet our need. This idea of loving missional community, I'm going to say more about that, is God's life. Within the life of the triune God, there is this community of love. There is this community of selflessness and, and uh, this desire to relate and to be known. Uh, God is not isolated, floating out in space. He, there has always been love within the life of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it is that love which we see in the missional God. Uh, open, if you would, to the Bible passage uh, that I mentioned. Uh, we're looking at Acts chapter 19. And I want to suggest to you, as we begin looking at this passage, that what we have in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, is almost like a relaunch of the whole book. There are very significant parallels between Acts 19, verses 1 to 10, and Acts chapters 1 and 2. If you remember back to Acts chapters 1 and 2, Jesus appears to his disciples and he sends them... Thank you for telling me that, Siri. Uh, uh, That was not the Lord's voice. That was Siri speaking to me. I punched something wrong. Um, Sorry. Go back to Acts chapter 1. Forget Siri for a moment. Uh, Acts chapter 1, we see a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus appearing to the disciples and commissioning them, sending them forth to be his witnesses to give their testimony to the Lord Jesus. And you remember in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter stands up and presents that first Pentecost sermon. And you remember that that sermon was preceded by a miraculous manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit that fell on the disciples like tongues of fire. And they began to speak before Peter preached. The disciples are speaking in tongues they don't know and they're understanding tongues they don't know, and there's this miraculous revelation of the power of God working in them and through them. And uh, the disciples bear witness, Peter bears witness, and the end of Acts chapter 2 concludes with Luke writing, 3,000 people were converted. That first Pentecost. Uh, Again, a reminder of the power of, of the triune, sending, missional God uh, who is at work in the world. And 
So it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. Well, here in Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 10, we have a very similar situation. Uh, Paul is coming back to Ephesus where Apollos has been preaching. If you were here last Sunday or if you remember Acts chapter 18, we learned that Apollos was a wonderful speaker, very eloquent, very articulate. He had a good understanding of the scriptures, but he didn't have a good understanding of Jesus yet until Priscilla and Aquila took him to one side and taught him the truth about Jesus. And so Apollos is left in Ephesus preaching and teaching. And when Paul comes back to Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, when he goes to the church in Ephesus, he discovers artifacts of Apollos' ministry. And while no doubt Apollos had been very effective at, at preaching and teaching and preparing, the fact is there were at least some there in Ephesus who had not yet learned some of the important things that Priscilla and Aquila had taught Apollos. So look what happens. It says, Paul passed through the inland country, came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, Again, you can hear echoes of Apollos' well-intended, partly correct ministry, but at least among these some disciples, uh, they haven't yet understood the work of the Holy Spirit, which uh, Paul wants him to understand, and which baptism sort of uh, puts into physical terms. Baptism is a physical explanation, a physical demonstration of what the gospel tells us, that we're brought into Christ. And so when they're talking about baptism, they don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. They don't even know that there is one. Again, echoes of well-intended but incomplete teaching. So in verse 3, Paul says to them, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And we know from Acts 18, that's exactly what Apollos was doing. He was proclaiming John's baptism. Apparently he had been influenced himself by the gospel, uh, the the teaching, the preaching of of, uh, John the Baptist. And so he was repeating good stuff. It had to do with repentance said Paul in verse 4. John baptized with the baptism of repentance. But according to Paul, John always said that all I can do is, is get you wet. All I can do is tell you this part of the story. After me, said John the Baptist, is coming one who will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. And of course we know that one who was to come was Jesus, who did come and who taught the truth and who lived the truth and who died on the cross and was raised gloriously from the dead. And now a few years later, his disciples are proclaiming this gospel. Well, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit. They knew about repentance. They knew about sin. They knew about repentance. That's good. But they didn't yet know about the Holy Spirit. And so, in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Uh, Verse 7 is one of those little hints that we really are seeing 
something happen in the life of the church that has to do with Acts chapter 1. Why mention there were about 12? Maybe there were 11, maybe there were 13. Why mention the number 12? Because in Acts chapter 1, they elected Matthias to make sure they had the 12. Like the 12 disciples that had walked with Jesus. So there's this little glimpse. Luke is not even saying there were exactly 12. He's, just, he's calling to their mind to remember this number 12, to remember that there had been an incident like this already in the life of God's people. And so they're being reminded, and we're being reminded, that what's happening here has had precedent. It has had precedent. Not only the number 12, but what happens in, in uh, verse 6, is, if you think about it, is what happens in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, when the disciples were filled with the Spirit, remember what happened? They started speaking in tongues. They started speaking in languages they did not know. The, the word glossa, which is tied up here in the word tongues in English, that just means language. They were speaking languages. Was it a miraculous prayer language? That's what we usually mean by speaking in tongues today. But that's not really the point here, is it? It's not a, about a miraculous gift that we're somehow to long for today, and it manifests itself in our prayer language. Um, there are lots of different points of view about that. I'm not going to get too tangled up in that this morning because I don't really think that's the concern that Luke had or that Paul has or that you and I should have. The point is not about what tongues necessarily look like at that very moment. It's what it tells us about the God whom they worshipped. The God whom Paul proclaimed, the God whom we see in Jesus, is a missional God. What does that mean? It means the God whom we worship has a concern for all the nations. He has concern for all the people of the world. He's not only concerned about Jewish people. He's not only concerned about just Hebrew-speaking people. He's not just concerned about one tribe or one family. He's actually concerned about the whole world. What you have here is a, a glimpse, again, of this reversal of Babel. Babel, way back in the book of Genesis, is the point at which humankind became separated. And language is one of the great demonstrations of our separation. Well, here in Acts 19, there's this idea that through the work of the Holy Spirit, that's being reversed. That's being reversed. That what has divided us is now reversing, changing, turning around. You know, if you want to look for a modern day example of Acts 19 verse 6 or Acts chapter 2, it's not your prayer language, it's your mission language. It's your language that you use to tell people the gospel. That's what was of great concern to Luke. That's why this is such an important turning point in the book of Acts and in the life of the church. Because we get this glimpse of the missional God. It's interesting. You know, he says, have you, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? They said, no, they've never even heard of him. And he tells them about the Holy Spirit. And what do they immediately start doing? They don't start talking about the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit of God falls on them, they start talking about Jesus. They start proclaiming Jesus. 
And to this day, that is what happens when the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in us. We don't turn into a church that's all about the Holy Spirit. We turn into a church more and more that's all about Jesus Christ and about proclaiming Jesus and and telling of His great love, the love of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the sign of the missional God, the God who from the beginning has overflowing love which He shares with the world through His Son Jesus by the power of His Sovereign Spirit. Co-equal, co-eternal. And we see this in Jesus. And so they're baptized in the name of Jesus. doesn't say here that uh, they used the Trinitarian formula. I'm sure they did. Uh, They came to understand that Jesus is the manifestation of the work of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. In Jesus, we're actually seeing not just the second person of the Trinity, but we're seeing the work of the fullness of God in Christ. And so they began to speak in tongues. They began to speak in languages they didn't know. They began to prophesy. What does a prophet do? A prophet brings the word of the Lord. And again, it's not something about some private experience in personal relationships, very private, very one-on-one. It's not really emphasizing that. The idea is, like the prophets in the Old Testament brought a word to the whole world, so here in Ephesus, these disciples began to speak languages and in this amazing display of God's power, the missional God at work, they began to, to... have this display of his power, and they bring his word. That is the evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a particular kind of gift. It's it's a, a, a missional attitude that reflects the missional character of God. And that's what these 12 men do here in Acts chapter 19. They go about preaching and proclaiming and bringing God's word to the nations. If you want an example of a modern day of, of Acts 19, verse 6, you don't really think need to think about some little sect that's speaking in tongues and, and it's, it's their private personal experience. You need to think about those who risk their lives to bring the gospel to the peoples of the world. Uh, people like uh, Kathleen visited recently. People who go and and busy themselves with the incredibly important work of translating the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus, into every language so that every tribe and every nation can hear the good news of Christ. So we see here a picture of the missional God, the Holy Spirit, that brings people to Jesus, which pleases the Father. That's what we see here at the beginning of Acts chapter 19. That's what we see here in Ephesus. And in verse 8 through 10, we get a glimpse of this missional God's missional church. A few years ago, I I was impressed by a book called um, Christian Mission in the Modern World. It was written by one of my heroes, a man named John Stott. Uh, evangelical Christians have some, for some time been torn between this idea of evangelism and social action, evangelism and worship. Uh, we, we feel like 
uh, you know, that, that we have to focus on one or the other. And if, if we focus too much on one, we're not going to focus enough on the other. And there's this tug of war. And I've, I've been a part of those discussions. I've been engaged in that discussion myself. And I, I know that there, there are very real issues involved. But what Stott did was he stepped into the middle of that discussion and he brought the Bible and he said, you know, it's not either or. We're misunderstanding mission. We're misunderstanding the work of God. The, the God whom we worship, the God who speaks in the Bible, the, the God who calls us to evangelism is the God of the whole world and he's a missional God. And so Stott began to challenge the church to rethink evangelism and rethink mission. You know, I think for a lot of us, when we think of evangelism or even the word mission, we picture handing out tracts. We picture uh, going door to door and inviting people to come to Jesus. And, and uh, there are churches, wonderful churches. Maybe you've been a part of churches like this where that's, that's what they do. They go door to door and they invite people with tracts to come and know Jesus. I think that's what the Gideons were doing that day in that little grade school in Baldwin, Mississippi. Uh, they, were, they were encouraging evangelism. And that's wonderful. But Stott's point is that, yes, evangelism is mission, and it should be missional. But fellowship is mission as well. We're going to go across the street in a minute to have a picnic in the park. Mamas, put away your aprons, uh, to quote the Berenstain Bears. Um, so we're, we're going to go do that. Well, when we do that... Let's have a missional edge to our doing that. Let's do what we do consciously to communicate Jesus' love, the love of the missional God. Let's do fellowship consciously to show his love to one another and to the watching world. Jesus actually said that the world will know we, will, will know we are his disciples, not by our great theology, not by our evangelistic zeal, the world will know we are his disciples by our love for each other. By our love they will know that we're Jesus' disciples. So evangelism, yes, but fellowship also is missional. That's part of the work of the missional God in his missional church. Uh, worship is missional. What we're doing right now in this service, yes, it's to build up the saints. Yes, it's to encourage one another as we walk in Jesus' Uh, in the, the life of Christ. Yes, it's to do that. But it's also to witness to the world. It's to witness to one another. It's to witness to those among us who are growing in faith. You know, the, the Christian life is not binary in a sense. It is binary in an important sense, but it's not, a bi it's not binary in every sense. The, the binary part is we're, we're facing Jesus or we're not facing Jesus. But the part that is processed is that we're all growing, aren't we? I mean, I came to Jesus a long time ago, but I, by God's grace, have been able to grow a little bit. And you're growing in Christ, and we grow in understanding. One of the reasons coming to church is so important is that we help each other grow in our faith. We help each other grow in understanding, and we help each other grow in our commitment to witness. So fellowship, worship, or missional. Pastoral care is missional. The way we love each other in concrete terms, the way we care for each other in times of crisis, that is missional. That is the work of the Holy Spirit among us. Hospitality is mission. Everything we do 
is missional. Because in the end, mission is not just something we do. Mission is who we are. We are God's missional church. We are the expression of this this God who loves. He loves through us. And that's what's happening here in the second half of Acts 19. Says Paul entered, this is verse 8. Paul entered the synagogue for three months. He spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. He goes back to the synagogue. He, he tries yet again for several months. He's, he's reasoning, he's persuading. But verse 9 says, When some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way, that's a, a buzzword, a shorthand way of saying the, the Christian life, the church. There were those who were speaking evil of it before the congregation. He withdrew from them. He took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. You know, verse 10 is amazing, if you really think about it. Verse 10 is really amazing. Acts chapter 2 concludes by saying 3,000 people were converted. Acts chapter 19 verse 10 says hundreds of thousands of people hear the word of the Lord. Both Jews and Greeks, hundreds of thousands of people. And you know the the picture here is not that Paul suddenly could power speak and he just goes from church to church to church and person to person to person and little group to little group to little group proclaiming the gospel, Paul, Paul, Paul. Now what happens at the hall of Tyrannus is Paul teaches those 12 who go and preach to their 12 and share the gospel with their 12. It's not simply ordained preachers, it's Christians living missionally. It's Christians whose whose whole lives are transformed by the gospel and they go and they share the gospel And I'm not a mathematician, but if you multiply 12 by 12 by 12 by 12 by 12, you start getting more and more and more people. And in the course of two years, it reaches the whole of Asia. Hundreds of thousands of people are impacted by a missional church. Twelve people. There's a lot more than 12 of us here today. Set on fire by the Holy Spirit full of love for Jesus, full of gratitude for Jesus, telling other people about Jesus. One of the things Stott said was, uh, being a missionary doesn't necessarily mean you go somewhere. It means you do the work of mission. You live out your mission, God's call. Uh, Daryl Gooder in Missional Living wrote this. He says, Mission is not a program of the church. It defines the church as God's sent people. Either we are defined by mission or we reduce the scope of the gospel and the mandate of the church. Thus, our challenge today is to move from church with mission to missional church so that everything we do, everything we are is shaped by the love of the missional God we see in Jesus. And that will affect the way we do absolutely everything. It will affect every aspect of our life together. So it's not just mission as handing out tracts. 
Its mission as showing the love of Jesus in every way to every person. We become like these 12 in the hall of Tyrannus, human witnesses who take the power of the Holy Spirit into the whole world, to all the nations. And we here at Metrocrest, that little network extends a long way. That's the missional church of the missional God. That, that will, as we think about that, as we try to live that out, the, uh, Kathleen's the head of our, of our mission team. I'm praying that the mission team will have as its goal not just a program of things for us to do, but it will Im- impact everything we do. Everything we say will have at its heart this love of God that we see in Christ as the Spirit works in us to do what the Holy Spirit does. Well, uh, this is a very significant turning point in the book of Acts. It's like Pentecost 2. And I'm praying that God will send his Spirit upon us at Metrocrest, that we too will, will maybe enter a new, exciting phase of ministry, that we too will focus on teaching the full counsel of God's word.